Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar. I am the Global Head of Strategy here at Credit Sites. And today I have Lauren Holland joining me. I'm really excited to chat with Lauren. She's our senior analyst covering paper and packaging, which is one of those sectors that actually provides you a lot of information about the economy and kind of the global outlook, despite being something that I think a lot of people view as a little bit more niche in nature. So, Lauren, thank you so much thank for you. joining me. Thank you. I'm glad to be today. here. All right, Lauren, let's jump right into it with our opener question, which I have had just tremendous fun asking all of the analysts. And that is, if you can have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for 2023, what would it be um, and yeah, why? Yeah, great question. And this kind of goes back to you know your opening comments about the sector. So I would really want to know if we're going to actually see a recession materialize by year end. So while my sector paper and packaging is largely recession-resistant, there are some pockets that have exposure to consumer discretionary spending. Also for my companies, we're seeing tailwinds to profitability from not only lower commodity prices, but also from the company's own efforts to improve productivity and profitability in the tight labor market we've experienced over the last few years. So this has come in the form of investments in automation, right-sizing their footprints and things that they've been doing to kind of bolster their EBITDA margins. However, a recession may negatively impact the volume outlook which would ultimately in turn lead to lower operating results for my companies. So currently most of our names, particularly in high yield packaging, um, are expecting to see pretty operating performance this year, leading either to flat or up results from 22, but a recession may definitely put a damper on that. The old recession question, which I think is what a lot of people are trying to figure out. I think last I looked, the Bloomberg economic consensus was calling mm -hmm. for a 65% chance of recession. But when you actually look at the individual contributors, there are very few people mm -hmm. saying, hey, negative GDP growth in 2023. And so that magnitude, I think, is something that people are just really having a hard time handicapping right now. You know, a slowdown in growth seems to be widely anticipated, but it seems like there's a pretty wide range or confidence yeah, around you know, that. Packaging touches so many different parts of the economy, everything from like beauty product, products to healthcare to how we see people spend money in restaurants and electronics and furniture, everything. Depending on where you look in the sector, you'll see different outcomes based upon where those, those pieces of softness may lie. It is absolutely fascinating how widespread your sector is. You get all of the information from all of mm -hmm. the things. With that in mind, what's your recommendation right now? How are you telling investors to position in paper and packaging and what gave you sure. uh, that um, So for investment grade forestry and paper, we're outperformed. And this is over in line with the overall um, asset class recommendation. Our recs have been in place since December last year. 
so spreads of force your paper remain wide to the overall IG and triple B index. The sector still tends to look really good on a relative value basis. Now, as far as fundamentals overall, the sector is comprised of mainly two primary commodities, container board and pulp. So container board is a substrate that's used to make cardboard boxes. And then pulp is basically the input for all paper-based packaging or any sort of paper products, right? So if you think about when trees are processed, you get pulp. So those are the two commodities that drive results in our IG um, space. So both of those are forecast to see weaker pricing year over year, due mostly to slowing demand and increased supply. However, as we stated earlier, lower input costs will help maintain profitability for these companies. So fundamentals are largely okay. Balance sheets are particularly healthy with strong liquidity, no near-term refinancing rates in the in the um, refinancing needs in the face of higher rates. So as far as like, you know, things that may make us look to change our recs, um, accelerated decline in container board or pulp pricing or volumes would be a concern, which may materialize in the advent of a recession, as we talked about earlier. However, we note that given the health of balance sheets and credit metrics in the sector, we wouldn't really anticipate any movement from the ratings agencies. So we think that investors should be well positioned in taking advantage of market dislocations in late 22 as a result of overreaction that we feel materialized due to the impact of weaker commodity prices. And then on the high yield side, we're also outperformed for 2023. Fundamentals are really good for this defensive sector. However, our call is really based more on relative value and technicals. High-yield packaging has like an overall credit quality of B1 as compared to double B2 for the broader index. And this is an improvement from our market perform rating in 2022. Overall, we expect packaging to see spread tightening greater than the overall indices in the current environment that is spiking overall flight to quality. So investors can also reach for yield and lower rated names due to good fundamentals in, in a defensive sector. And like their IG counterparts, we would need to see a materially, material softening in demand that negatively impacts credit metrics, such that we would look to change our rec away from our outperform. Our clients seem to overall be comfortable with the sector, but we're getting a lot more deep dive questions on topics such as like hedging and contract structure so they can understand how these names will behave in a downturn. Those are the things that emerge in volatility periods, which makes our job as analysts both really interesting and also somewhat challenging to to keep up with everything. So let's talk a little bit about the outlook for new issue activity. If we have a constructive view on both investment grade and high yield paper and packaging more broadly, how is the potential for primary market activity influencing your yeah, outlook so and just historically, our sector is not super active when it comes to new issue, particularly amongst our IG names. So for investment grade, we only see about $2 billion in new issue in 2023 relative to the $49 billion of outstanding. There's no pending M&A or expansion within the space that it requires these companies to go to the capital markets. So the expected issuance that I talked about is purely for refinancing. Um, high yield, kind of the same. Like we expect to see about $6 billion issuance against $38 billion outstanding. A third of that $6 billion has already been done so far this year with Mauser Packaging refinancing their inter- entire capital structure last month. This name specifically is one of our lower quality names. It's rated triple C at the unsecured level. But as with the rest of its counterparts, the fundamental backdrop remains solid. So, you know, they were able to affect that, you know, that, you know, large refinancing effectively without a hitch. And our sector also, another reason isn't that active around new issuance because of heavy sector consolidation. So we don't really see a lot of refinancing for M&A when it does materialize. It pretty much comes from like the same people every three, four years or so. 
free cash flow is so strong that projects can largely be funded internally. Also, sometimes from asset sales, which are used for debt paydowns or reinvestment. We also saw Barry come to market earlier this week with an IG rated secure note issue, which um, you know was very well received by the market. And those proceeds are mostly used for the repayment of existing debt. Like I said, not a ton of volume expected in our market. Not a ton of volume, which is bad news for mm-hmm. investors looking for these kind of defensive yet you know higher yielding parts of the market for sure. There's probably you know a reason mm-hmm. for all of that. So what keeps you up at night when you think about your sector and the recommendation? We have a fairly constructive view, despite having some you know pseudo cyclical exposure with mm-hmm. you know recession risk. What are you thinking about as potential? Yeah, risk? so I mean we talked about this earlier. The most obvious risk is recession risk, which would create a protracted slowdown in consumer spending. Um, as mentioned before, like there are some names that are more exposed to you know product categories which we deem discretionary, kind of like wine, spirits restaurant take-home containers, electronics. So we closely watch patterns in consumer spending, consumer credit, savings, anything that may point to evidence that people are making different choices that stick, or more importantly, like actually running out of money to spend. Um, Some of the less obvious risks are things like shifts in consumer tastes and preferences, which cause substrates to move in and out of favor. So for instance, like the beverage can has been a beneficiary of this over the last decade or so, but that's at the expense of glass bottles. Now, because the industry, again, is so consolidated, it's kind of right-sized and realigned itself accordingly. However, down the line, we may see these similar trends accelerate for plastics and paper-based manufacturers. There are some things such as cybersecurity stress. Now, while we haven't seen one this year, in early 22, two of our larger issuers actually suffered significant downtime due to cyber threats, which had a measurable impact on EBITDA. So that, that is you know, something that, that we kind of think about from time to time. And then back to my point about beverage cans, the back half of 22 was pretty rough for this otherwise solid group of companies that have very reputable management teams. As we saw in other areas of the economy, demand just slowed a lot earlier and faster than anticipated, causing inventory levels to spike sharply. And after a pretty gangbuster five to seven years of growth, you know, we saw major companies like Ball and Crown actually idle and permanently close capacity. Now, granted, we've seen capacity growth of nearly 40% collectively since 2019, from around 100 billion to 140 billion cans. However, operating rates are still expected to hover around 90% over the next three to five years after being above 100% at the beginning of the expansion period. So I think investors need to consider how balanced the market remains and that manufacturers still hold pretty significant pricing power in beverage cans. Oh, that's fascinating. I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot. So, you know, like I said, Prior to that expansion cycle, we saw companies running at like 106% of capacity, 110% of capacity, having to actually import cans to be able to make hold on orders that they have with their customers. So again, that's really been a, a big area of interest for investors, concerned that this slowdown that materialized in the back half of 22 represents like some sort of new path for beverage can growth. But there's just so many other factors behind it, like product innovation and things like that keep us very positive on that area of paper and packaging. Yeah, it's so hard to make sense of really any of the 2022 data at both the macro and the micro level. Things were so all over the place and it was just the market economists, analysts all playing this weird game of of trying to catch Mm -hmm. up and find the bottom. I think that with 2023, we're getting a little bit better clarity around the picture, although things feel still pretty uncertain, especially in light of all the banking volatility lately. 
So let's mm -hmm. talk some trade ideas. What are some of your picks or pans or carry trades? What are you talking to our clients about? What are some of the names that you think are most sure. interesting? So right our now? top pick is Ardoc Group, and this goes back to you know the things I talked about as far as about beverage cans. Now Ardoc specifically is a manufacturer of both glass and metal packaging. So they own 78% of Ardog Metal Beverage Packaging, which is the company that actually makes beverage cans. And then the balance of the company makes glass bottles and glass food packaging as a direct competitor to names like OI Glass. You know, I talked about like how the good fundamentals are for beverage cans. Well, for glass, the fundamentals are actually even better. A lot of capacity was shut over the last five to seven years ahead of an uptick in demand during the pandemic, a lot of which is still remains sticky. So, you know, these manufacturers enjoying pricing power as input costs aside, as well as the benefit of investments and in productivity I talked about before. So overall, this is setting RDOG up for strong results over the next few years. And valuations for can manufacturers are really, really strong, you know, with crown and ball trading at like 10 to 15 times trailing EBITDA. So despite the high leverage at RDOG, which is one of the things that investors are really concerned about, like it's, you know, trending around like six times, we believe there's ample equity cushion for RDOG, which warns the risk of taking on the risk and in investing in the unsecures or the pick notes, even which are at the ARD fin level. So the RDOG notes, the unsecureds, which are single B rated, you know, currently pay about you know 12% right now compared to like 9% for the broader high yield index. So we believe this is a clear opportunity for investors. Yeah, that's that sounds like a, a super compelling opportunity. I feel like lately glass is having a bit mm -hmm. of a renaissance with everyone kind of focusing yep. away from plastic and back towards glass. It's interesting how these broader trends really influence your sector, which I personally would not think about. Yeah, I mean, that, and that, that, you know, that's, a, that's an astute observation because what we're seeing is a, there are a couple of things there. One, it's really more consumer driven here in the U.S. specifically, right? Because people are just be a lot more cognizant of the environment and recycling. And as much as the plastics industry tries to make the case about why they are sustainable, those kind of technical arguments that they try to make don't really, you know, resonate so much with the consumer. So the consumer still thinks like, okay, glass, I can recycle it. I know I can drop in a recycle bin and take it back, whatever. Whereas plastic, you know, a lot of it truthfully either winds up burned or in a landfill, right? Um, that's definitely part of what's been driving that demand mm -hmm. growth for glass. And like I said before, it also has a lot to do with what they call the premiumization effect. So people willing to spend a little bit more money from a product mm -hmm. that's encased in glass because it feels like it's more luxury or expensive. It's kind of like those kind of small luxuries that people like. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Every Monday night, I drop my daughter at dance. And then I go and I sit at a local little deli mm -hmm. and I get myself my Topo Chico mm -hmm. in a glass bottle. And I don't get the LaCroix or my a Coke mm -hmm. Zero in a plastic bottle because I really, that Topo yeah, Chico exa just exactly. feels special. It's a luxury, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yes, that's definitely. It's my $2.59 luxury exactly. on Monday nights. <laughs> this is a glimpse into my really riveting world right here. All right. So let's yeah, talk. I do. Do, you have, do you have any so other things like, you want to things talk we about? Don't like. um, okay. So our top pan is packed of evergreen. So we have concerns about the impact of a slowing economy on certain names that are more exposed to 
spending that is categorized as more discretionary. And for Pactive, almost half of their revenue comes from their food service segment. So this includes like drinkware, containers, cutlery, everything that, you know, if you went to, I don't know, Shake Shack or whatever, and you had an order, like everything in that packaging is the things to think about. Also, even for, um, you know, you go to a restaurant and, you know, you take part of your meal home, those containers as well are represented in their food service segment. So data from the National Restaurant Association is showing a growing trend of adults indicating that they are not eating as restaurants as often as they would like, coupled with an overall slowdown in restaurant spending over the first couple of months of this year. Impactive is guided to lower EBITDA for fiscal 23 over 22, and is also currently going through a restructuring of its beverage packaging business, which has been struggling for some time. So Pactive knows trade significantly tied to overall um, high yield index you know, paying around seven and a half percent versus the nine percent for the broader index. So we think there's much better value elsewhere in the sector for investors. That makes good sense. I would personally prefer to be going out to eat at restaurants more because I'm awfully mm-hmm. sick of cooking after the past few years. And yet I'm not. So Agreed. I guess I'm Agreed. Same here. Surveys. I mean, it's, you know, as we're all kind of, you know, looking for ways to kind of cut corners in our budget. I mean, because like, you know, you cook like the, what, the average mm-hmm. grocery basket is like, of 30% or something like that. I, I feel that very acutely on our weekly mm-hmm. grocery trip for sure. All right. Should we wind down with some words of wisdom from Lauren? Yeah. Holland? So I, I guess kind of what I would like to tell, you know, my company management teams are like, you know, slow and steady wins the race. Leave the go-go post-recovery period in the rear view and really focus on the return to trend rate of growth that we have in front of us. Realize that some habits that our consumers took on during the pandemic may be sticky, but the reality is in the long run, demand for this sector largely attracts economic growth like we discussed. So can continue to innovate where appropriate, particularly where it's an opportunity to reduce costs, but really just kind of don't anchor to that explosive growth period that we saw like post the pandemic because it's just not sustainable in the long run and you should be planning your business more to, on a normalized like growth trend. That is Super wise, super helpful, very much what we have been talking to our clients about in terms Mm -hmm. of expectations for Mm -hmm. broader macroeconomic growth this year and next year, not necessarily a huge negative retrenchment, but more slow and steady is probably a reasonable expectation and, you know, maybe more positive Mm -hmm. than some people are thinking right now. Lauren, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. If anyone has questions, if they'd like to reach out to me or Lauren directly, you can always find us using that Ask an Analyst feature on the Credit Sites website or by reaching out to your Credit Sites sales. Thank you so much, Lauren. Have a great day. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. It's not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is credit sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by credit sites or its affiliates.